Uh, I'm hearing notifications everywhere, so we'll see. Only we'll pulling up a monitor to see if we are in fact live. Um, if we are in fact live, and you are watching now, uh, you will notice there are three of us tonight. There's one to my left and one below me. Uh, Mr. Barry Kirby uh, has been on for the last couple weeks, subbing in for Blake. And Hello. below me, you might recognize Mr. Frank Laxon, who's been on the show before. Uh, welcome to the pre-show, everybody. Looks like we're live, so yes, that's good. Uh, it's if you are, I'll say something. Sorry. Now it's officially the next day, so I'm now a time zone ahead of you. Oh, a day you're you're a day ahead of us. Yeah, I think more than a time zone. Yeah. Um, if you are watching live on one of our new platforms, i.e., LinkedIn, uh, thank you for watching on that platform. Uh, they have just approved us uh, the the channel proper for uh, live streaming, so that's kind of exciting. That's fun, exciting, interesting. Um, and Is this me uh, talking business speak and that type of thing, or are we just going to crack it the way we usually do? <laughs> uh, we, well, yes. Just calm down on the swearing and the naked dancing. Yeah. Yes, both of those. Yeah. Let's. This is <laughs> LinkedIn is very professional. But button up. Oh, I forgot my shirt. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No naked dancing. Um, oh. <laughs> you wouldn't let me do it last week either. <laughs> All the one before. It's one of our early episodes where uh, we. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We were misguided in how we approached the titles. In fact, so much that we got called out by a reviewer uh, that our titles were not user friendly. Um, and so back when we were doing fun titles to categorize the show, um, we had one said this used to be a family show. And I don't exactly remember what we were talking about on that show to make it so. Uh, I don't vulgar is not the word. Um, not family friendly, not family friendly. But uh, yeah, anyway, we said we said something on there that that was the title. <laughs> ah, there we go. Yes. I got pitched an idea for a different type of show on, say, to do a monthly show or something like that, which is that we do a something, a monthly wrap up of everything that's gone on that month, interesting things to talk about, highlight things that have gone on on Human Factors Cast, things that have gone on my podcast, other interesting things in the news, whilst everybody's drinking wine. Ooh. So wine or beer, you know, just having a few drinks, like a um, few people in the room, what's gone on, what's been really interesting, and what's or what's been, like, really gross, whatever. All, all Human Factors related or ergonomics related, um, but with a, with some wine and beer, maybe cheese and nibbles. You've seen uh, that program, Drunk History. We could do Drunk Human Factors. See, I was trying to look, think think of some sort of subtle name, but yeah, why not just go out with it and just just put it, <laughs> put it out there exactly what it is? It, it, it's parody, right? That's what we can yes. claim. The uh, yes, Human Factors at the conference bar. So. <laughs> uh, networking. We yes. just call it networking. So networking in um, um, in, in in speech marks. It's, uh... All right. Uh, I do want to get to some of these show notes. Um, so this is the pre-show. Uh, this is where we loosen up. We um, get everybody. This is where we really should have alcohol before the main show. Um, and we're, we're talking tonight about 
AI in the classroom. Is that fair to say? That's what the title says. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so we got some show notes here. It looks like we're mostly done. Uh, I do want to get to it came from. And Frank, I'm really excited that you're here because I want to get some questions that you're just itching to answer. Um, let's see yeah. here. Yeah. I'm going to take a look. And that's cool. Into the bank. I've got some notes, notes to add to the show notes as well. Get that in there for you. Good. Uh, let me go through some of these. Um, it came from that we have here. I'll put it over here so everyone. It looks like I'm looking at everyone. Uh, so here's some interesting ones. Um, this one I don't, I don't want to mention on the show, but I do want to like just call it out because it's cool. Uh, there's this. Um, there's a Reddit post, I guess, on user experience uh, by, I'm going to mess up the name here. Where'd it go? I just clicked on it. Um, there is a cool one from user experience. If I could find it, there it is. Uh, it's called 200 Tools for Product People. And it's supposedly is a uh, collection of tools that have been put together by product managers curated for product managers. And um, while it is product managers putting this together, there's a lot of uh, really cool resources that are not necessarily product manager tools. I'm going to actually share my screen right now for anyone listening on um, on the other way that we present this information. Our patrons get the audio version of this. So I'm going to describe uh, best I can what you're looking at here. So there's a collection of tools and they break it down by category. So you have things like A-B testing or analytics or collaboration, change log publishing, design, documentation, all the way down to user testing, user research, user onboarding. So there's a lot of different tools here. And if you were to click on any one of these, it actually gives you the tools available to you right there. A uh, little bit of clunky interface, uh, you know, as it scrolls down past everything but um it's pretty it's pretty cool that they have all these things just available for you uh to check out if you know you a have the ability to um sort of impact which tools you're going to use and or uh have a say in what you use it's a pretty cool resource um for anyone just getting started so wanted to point that out as just something that uh you should take a look at that's uh, pretty cool yeah anyway <clears throat> getting back to the reddit stuff uh i have one from patreon that i'm going to read separately it's not part of this but it's it's uh it's cool to get that um so we'll read that in the patreon section uh let's see here so i have frank how do you feel about how do you conduct and analyze research in relation to a product feature? This is a um, person works uh, on one product in-house used by large companies. And uh, their, their process usually works on one play, one page, one flow, one process. Um, how does that 
process differ from you know doing something holistically looking at the whole system is that something that you want to answer or are you looking for other things like what what do you what does frank want to answer tonight i can get that one a crack it sounds like one for some kind of life cycle time the timing timing your research to where something is in a life cycle and that, that's kind of the danger that happens when you're in a little bit more mature processes there's less time to do research or something disruptive it's more kind of a rinse and repeat thing. Is that, is that kind of a similar answer to what you were thinking? Or something like that? If, if we pull this one, I don't know how I'm going to answer. I, I think... <laughs> what do you think, Barry? Yeah, I think it's it's not the easiest one, is it? Um, no, it's tricky. And I think that's maybe why it's well worth bringing out, because I think we'll sure. probably stumble over it a fair bit and I think it's it's something because it means different things to different people. It's a bit like there's a one which I quite like the look of as well, which is what exactly are HF skills? Um, because again, that's a it could be answered in different ways and and all that sort of stuff. So um, here's what we'll do: we'll we'll grab it, and if we find three other ones that we like better, uh, we'll do those. Otherwise, we'll do this one. Very decisive. I like that. Okay. Uh, I got another one here. Online masters, no experience. I'm going to pass on that one. Um, looking through, looking through. I already talked about the 200 tools. Uh, either of you want to talk about UX and UI and big tech firms? What's the actual question? <laughs> Yeah. Good, good question. <laughs> What's a big tech firm? Uh, can anyone oh, talk about their experiences working in big tech? Um, yes, I think that would be quite good because it, it's it's pulling in that startup versus a big firm. Um, we we have talked about this a fair well, we've touched on it a fair bit, bit, bit in the past few weeks of having um, yeah. you know how we our startup. You, you have to be across more of it, whereas a big, in a big firm, you could be a bit more specific. Um, but again, it's a message that's worth repeating. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, let's let's see if there's a, a better ones here. Um, there's medical HFE places to work without a ton of travel. Um, I don't I don't know if I now that I'm looking at that, I don't know if that's a good question here. It's very location specific. Well, because <laughs> it's about travel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. What exactly are HF skills? I do like this one. I I tend to preference yeah. the ones that come from the human factors subreddit. So we'll. I think we're gonna do this one first and foremost. Let's. This one is like number one. Yeah, I like that. Number one. Um, okay. So we have two now. We have what exactly is human factors and how do you conduct and analyze research in relation to a product feature? Uh, let's look for one more here. Um, I like this last one here, advice on making designs that are easier for devs to follow. Uh, I, think how, yeah. I think beyond that, it's how do you communicate with the developers to uh, 
not how, how do you communicate? Yeah, exactly. How do you communicate design to developers? Yeah. Um, yeah, because we can get into everything around agile to um, style guides to all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I or, or the or the liberal use of of munitions when they when they get it wrong and you you need to get a new team. I think that makes sense to me. Okay, so let's let's do that one. All right. So it looks like we got our uh, our little uh, questions here. We'll sandwich it. Um, let's see here. Hey, Frank, have you had a chance to add in a one more thing at the end? I've just realized something new. I want to add into one more thing as well. Yeah, I just add one more things all the time, and then I usually pick whichever one is more uh, relevant. Yeah. yeah. Now I've just, I've just found out I'm um, chairing another um, webinar. Oh, geez, yeah. Hang on, I got to put that in there while uh, while you've reminded me. Um, oh, I think I want him. Oops. Yeah, I gotta put that in there. Um, so I don't know if that's official yet or not. So I'm not gonna say it out loud, but that's the thing. <laughs> I'll put that last actually, because I again don't want to accidentally slip and say it. Okay. Cool. So I think we're, I think we're good on show notes, right? Because we have the recommended one where Frank and I talk about how Google improving virtual classrooms that was a fun episode um yeah what's going on with you guys anything new fun exciting frank you getting into the spooky season oh yeah getting uh starting to share the david s pumpkins videos with my teammates they love it. I th I, I think uh, I think there's a happy. You know, we we've been doing uh, the company's been doing kind of various like virtual happy hours and things. I want to see yeah. if I can get my hands on some some kind of uh, David as pumpkins themed kind. Now, Barry, are you familiar costume. with with Mr. Pumpkins? Uh, no. Okay. So, usually, this is a, an Americanism that. Um, I got no idea what you're talking about. Well, Saturday Night Live is is uh anyway, you you got to do yourself a favor. And, okay. And, and maybe even <laughs> we It is the season. It is the season. So, why don't you just do yourself a favor and and just Google David S Pumpkins. Maybe uh maybe we could focus you for a little reaction shot here. Um <laughs> here, we'll we'll focus Barry for a little reaction shot here for so David it. S Pumpkins. Uh, here in the pre-show um for anyone unaware oh. uh okay, that's, David, that, that's, oh. uh, if it's tom hanks you're in the right place yeah, uh, yeah, yeah so for anyone unaware uh this is a saturday night live skit that uh, aired a couple years ago i think it was what 2017 2018 
Uh, right now, Barry is watching the magic happen. Um, <laughs> and we are watching his reaction. I like his that. that suit's amazing. <laughs> Need me one of them. Okay. Yeah, I now feel educated. Okay. Yeah, I I think um, there, there's uh, there's more in the video, and I think you are good at you finding were... blockages. There you go. Yeah, that <laughs> I, I tried to find the whole mute bit of that. There, we, there we go. I can do that. Maybe maybe you watch the video later. I don't know how uh, how good it makes uh, for an audio podcast for our patrons. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> but the, just the reaction of people laughing That's over family friendly, friendly I right? See. I can't yes. see what could probably go wrong with that. Oh, right, so let's move that away. Um, cool. Yeah, so I'm quite looking forward to next week, really, because we're having, hopefully, a um, a small social gathering. Um, if it's warm enough, well, I don't really care. In, in We live in, in the UK, so it's going to rain. We just deal with that. Um, but it's just going to be so nice just to do so do something. We, we, we really like to do the Halloween party every year, and... Um, it's been such a while since we've done it that, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. But again, you we you still feel kind of nervous and things like that because cases are rising again in the UK and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So you're like, how many people should you be inviting? Should you know we're gonna have to do it outside pretty much, and that means it's gonna be really cold. So um, you know, require like proof of vaccination or anything or well, pretty much, I think. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going, to, I'm going to assume that everybody makes up their own COVID, uh, their COVID passport, um, and we'll, we'll mandate that. Um, and and we'll have, I guess we could have a prize for the most um, most imaginative uh, COVID passport. Oh, there you um, go. Yeah. So, well, can you to... dress up your uh, your COVID passports for Halloween? Scary COVID. Pa- so I guess the well. If you do that, then you go for scary COVID passports. All everybody's going to do is draw pictures of the COVID vac- COVID um, uh, virus on their passport, aren't they? Because that's the scariest thing you could do with it. Or is that just me? Uh, you could put devil horns on it or something, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. You mentioned rain. I, it's it's really rainy up here um, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and. I just tra- changed climates pretty recently. Frank, how are things down in oh San Diego? Oh my gosh, the un 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 Pacific Northwest. The uh, I, I was, sunshine state. I was talking in a meeting, like a working group meeting, and my voice started to go, and and that I've never experienced that before, and I was wondering what was going on, and you know the bottom right in your most computers they have this uh you know the weather report so i was looking at the weather report it said 85 and i clicked on it 85 degrees fahrenheit and it said eight percent humidity with a Ooh. 15 mile an hour winds uh so what happens is the santa Ana winds come in from the desert and that's what starts a lot of the fires in, in california it, it causes like a like a matchstick effect of this dry air and so the so the air was literally the the dry air was really taken out of out of my voice uh so so we look forward to seeing moisture again and, and rain that doesn't you, sound guys had, you guys had a quite a significant downpour a couple of weeks ago didn't you oh yeah there was a uh 
it was it was it was actually tied to a Monday night uh, football game. So the the there was the there's this team in Los Angeles that built a five billion dollar stadium, and then they were closed due to lightning. I said, well, and it, it was at a closed stadium, uh, kind of like a cabana almost. So it was it wasn't technically a dome, but uh, because it had some open air, they had to call it off a delay for lightning for two oh, to wow. three hours. So you build a five billion dollar stadium and you don't put a lightning rod on on top of it. <laughs> you know, it's like if someone it's like, oh, it's not gonna ever ever you know lightning in this part of the part of the country, and it, it just happened to. I'd say how much does a lightning rod cost? Hundred dollars, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah they, at that point, just like get somebody out there, get an emergency contractor out there to weld one on top for you. I mean, or just to stand on top with a with an umbrella or something. That, that, <laughs> there uh, so, in, interestingly, I've started to take an interest in, in American football. Um, and so I watched my first um, f- first game. Um, I can't even remember. I think it was Cowboys versus somebody else. Um, and I'm trying to learn the rules of rules of your, your football game. It's very Oh, strange. we call it soccer here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I don't do that. That that screwed my head up a lot. I don't. I don't really follow soccer in the UK. I'm, I'm more. I'm more into rugby and things. Um, yeah. And so I've always thought that uh, American football is basically just a a slightly wetter version of uh, of our rugby. But actually, seeing some of the hits that go down in in American football, they're brutal. Um, oh they yeah. Really, because yeah. everything is so fast all of the time. Um, I'm really impressed with sort of their, their, their fitness levels and stuff. Um, so now I'm just going to learn the rules and work out actually why they're all running around and why everybody ch- seems to change off every two minutes when they get a bit tired. But I'll, I'll get there. I'll th- yeah. I'll, I'll, I shall report progress through the weeks. Good. I Well, I, you're probably further along than I am. Um, I don't have awareness of American football. Well, that's not true. I do have... Uh, some awareness. Um, I, I mean, I keep track of like the political side of things, I guess, if you want to call it that. Okay. Yeah. 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 The statements being made, the people getting fired, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> the fun stuff. Yeah. The fun stuff. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I am familiar a little bit with the rules. Uh, you know, I know there's four quarters and I know you get the football from one end to another and, you know, a touchdown is worth seven or eight. Maybe I don't know. This is this is somebody who is unfamiliar with sports talking about sports. So I might say some <laughs> really dumb stuff here. Uh, but uh, it's seven or eight points. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you do it through the field goal, that is, uh, you know, at least I know what a field goal is, right? That's that's three points that's maybe right. or or more. So, I don't know. Um, it's um, I'm just I was really impressed with the fact that you've got the this idea that they've got to make ten yards in four plays. So I understood that bit. But what's great is on the TV you can obviously see the lines, so they they superimpose the um, the lines on onto the pitch. So you have got the line where they started, where where t- um, ten meters, ten yards. It must be yards because you don't believe in meters, do you? So you you got to go ten yards. Um, that's fine. But then on the pitch, you sort of keep forgetting that actually on the pitch they don't have the lines on the pitch um, because you know you can't draw them on. You've actually got the people stood at the edges with the big uh, either big triangles or big markers or big sticks. It's a ten foot chain, ten yard chain, ten yard chain. It's, that was it. Yes, it, it, it's a physical <laughs> chain link. Yeah. And I was sort of like, it wasn't until I sort of realised that that I've then I, I then start, started spending part of one game 
ignoring the game completely, just watching these guys with this big chain and the t- and the sticks and stuff. Like that looks like hard work. Um, constantly being on the ball with that, so or on the chain, I guess is as you call it. But um, but yeah, it's, I, I just found it fascinating, and the fact that they wear the helmets, but it's not just helmets; they've got gum shields and they've got visors as well, as well as the the, the guards, and the and they've got like towels tucked into the back of the shorts just in case the hands get a bit or the ball gets a bit damp. And I was like, how can you do such a brutal game and still have a nice towel just tucked into the back of your shorts just in case? Yeah, uh, yeah it's um, it just seems to be a whole lot of um, a whole lot of contradiction. But um, it's been fascinating. At one point, I was talking with a colleague about potentially setting up a Human Factors of Sports podcast uh, that I would not be a part of. I would do the production <laughs> of and and happily provide resources for, but I could not host something like that. Um, <laughs> he was just way too busy to even consider it, but it was always some fun idea that we poked around. It was interesting. I um I interviewed somebody this week, um a guy uh, a guy from Australia, um a guy called Professor Paul Salmon, and he's like he's he's well written and all that sort of stuff. And I was sort of like digging into. So why did you get into human factors in the first place? And he started off by the fact it it got into um, football boot design um, as part of a, a a degree course or something, and was just inspired by this football boot design that then launched him into being quite a prolific writer, pr- uh, author, and very successful. Um, Human factors practitioner. Hmm. So, so it, that's now becoming a little thing. Now I think for other things is you know, what was the, that momentous time? What was the that one tipping point that um, that meant that you that, that you um, were became a human factors practitioner? Yeah, that's a good. That's like a good origin story. Uh, we got time. We got little time. Frank, what's your origin story? I think it. Uh, it depends. No, it, it, it was actually it's actually literally literally that I was in a uh, class with uh, with uh, Professor Wickens, and uh, he had this amazing ability to. Uh, I hope this is okay to say on, on, on LinkedIn. To to uh, they had uh, projection uh, screens back then, uh, and you know, like what do you call those little um, pieces of plastic paper? Uh, Projection sheets. Overhead, overhead projectors. Overhead, yeah, overhead projectors. And he was able to uh, stand behind on the screen with the overhead projector shining in his face and still do the lecture. Like as Whoa. if he was immune to the bright light uh, for that. Uh, and, and so I think just learning, uh, just going through that, that chapter, something just kind of clicked. All those different chapters in that uh, engineering psychology book uh, for me. And I said, well, gosh, this is this is it. Uh, and it's one of those things where, yeah, it would kind of, they call it flow where time kind of just slows down. If you're working on something and you're really getting into it, uh, and, and then just realize, wow, that's kind of something I'd like to keep, keep, keep trying and doing. Cool. Barry, I don't know if I've asked you what your origin story is. Um, mine's fairly simple. So I, I, my degree was in sort of command and control and software and things like that, but I was always interested in the user interface, and I always wanted to spend time on getting that right before doing any of the code, which infuriated my lecturers. But then, anyway, went into um, went into industry, um, primarily as a software engineer, um, but then joined a um, an aviation cockpit research group, 
and so was lucky enough to be involved in projects that got into um, aviation cockpit design, um, got, got involved in a bunch of research programs, and then turned around and said, I don't want to do software, I want to do human factors. And my boss at the time was like, well, it takes a long time to get to. Um, and then got made redundant from that job and went and got another job um, somewhere else as a human factors practitioner um, and haven't really looked back. At some point, I should really do some, like, I don't know, qualifications or something like that in it. But you know, 20 years on, I think I've kind of missed that boat. Um, so I'm, I'm now just living that vicar uh, vicariously that um, I've got my um, my wife to do her human factors master's degree at the moment. And so I'm just looking over her shoulder as she's doing all this stuff. And we, our evenings now consist of talking about the, um, the relative mer merits of NASA TLX and, um, and what does a good task analysis look like. I mean, how, how much more romantic can you get now? That's some excellent pillow talk, I got to say. <laughs> so, I just realized that could go a completely different direction, but yeah, we're about to go live. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hold it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you are watching with us um, on any one of our platforms, uh, first off, thank you for joining us. Uh, second off, don't go anywhere because we're about to actually start the real show for real. Uh, where the music goes away and we actually have some real thoughtful discussion about human factors topics. Um, tonight's topic, of course, is uh, can artificial intelligence impact the way that we learn? And uh, we'll, we'll get to the real show here in just a moment. And I'm stalling for time so that way we can start right on the uh, right on the 30. But uh, Frank, don't worry about any audio recording tonight. Or you can do it all through Restream now. So we're good there. Um and aside from that, I think we'll be right back uh, with the show proper. Uh, so stick with us and we'll be right back. I guess that's as good to get an intro as any. Anyway, be right back. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. Your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. This is episode 223. We're recording this live on October 21st, 2021. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by two wonderful people. We got Barry Kirby. Hey, how are you doing? Good, Barry. Thank you for joining us. And also on the line, we also have Frank Laxon. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for being on the show, Frank. You haven't been on since, uh, I think I was looking at it, it was, what, episode 197 or something? You were right before our 200 extravaganza. Yeah, I'm in that epoch, the pre-200 epoch. <laughs> pre-200. <laughs> uh, we got a great show for you all tonight. We're going to be talking about artificial intelligence in the classroom. And later, we're going to answer some questions from the community uh, about some really great things like what does it mean to be human factors? I think that's one of them. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't write them in the show notes. There you go. That's what I get for overlooking. Anyway, what exactly are human factor skills? How do you conduct and analyze research in relation to a product feature? And what is some advice on making designs that are easier for developers to follow or but follow? But first, got some programming notes. Uh, there's not going to be a show next week. Um, stick around though. They're always pleasant surprises. Maybe anyway, we'll be back on the 4th of November for sure. Maybe a pleasant surprise next week. Who knows? Anyway, we're not going to be here live doing this. Um, 
we are now streaming on LinkedIn. So if you're uh, for the first time on through our channel tonight, so if you're watching on LinkedIn, thank you. Welcome all new LinkedIn viewers. Uh, we also have Human Factors Minute available for everyone outside of Patreon for, I guess, the first time a couple weeks ago. Now it's been out there. Anyway, it's 86 episodes available to you. And we'll talk about Patreon a little bit later. And of course, we have some conference coverage coming up. So stay tuned for that. But right now, it's time that we get into Human Factors News. That's right. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. It's fair game for us to talk about. Barry, what do we have up this week? So this week, we're looking at new research showing that learning is more effective when active. So the COVID-19 pandemic necessitated a really quick diversion into remote learning styles with lots of schools, colleges and universities having to deliver remote learning online and suddenly very keen to adapt and exploit new technologies. So students faced negative psychological effects in isolation, restlessness, and inattention brought on by quarantine and remote learning. Therefore, the interest in new teaching technologies and methods has been very popular. So the faculty from Carnegie Mellon University's Human Computer Interaction Institute, through their research, concluded that engaging students through interactive activities, discussions, feedback, and AI-enhanced technologies resulted in improved academic performance compared to traditional lectures lessons or readings. So the research also found that active learning methods use not only hands-on, minds-on approaches, but also hearts-on approaches, um, providing increased emotional and social support. Specifically, the research found that incorporating an AI-based virtual helper to question students, encourage them to think critically, and engage them in discussions increased learning in hands-on activities, whilst also supporting teachers. Research was performed by controlled experiments to see how much children learn whilst interacting with a mixed reality learning platform, where children perform and interpret real-world experiments with personalized interactive feedback, with the artificial intelligence turned on and off. When, the, when it was turned off, the students learned far less. So the pandemic made it quite clear that appro traditional approaches to education may not be the best way to learn, but the questions have persisted around what active learning is, how best to use it, and how to excite students. So, Frank, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my initial thought is is a little bit a little bit of irony. Uh, if you remember, some of our uh, a lot of studies have shown on different technologies, especially smartphones, have caused people to become more isolated. So you saw a lot of that in the uh, news articles and other kinds of studies. And to see that technology is bringing students together and having people connect and be active, that, that's really good. And, and that shows that you know, it's, it's not technology's fault. It's just the designers of technology and how people adapt to it is, is, is uh, what we need to kind of study. It, it also reminds me of that, um, it's kind of one of those classic human factors principles, the yerkes dodson law, uh, which describes a kind of bell-shaped uh, relationship between pressure and performance. And I wonder if some of our time in the pandemic has caused, caused a shift to, to move towards the passive side. And a lot of the students are perceiving uh, negative impacts on that. And I think AI is doing a great job nudging forward uh, people, the uh, very students across that curve to more of kind of more optimal kind of performance level. Uh, I think, uh, Barry, uh, you mentioned, I uh, think, in the pre-show, doing some of the work uh, in your origin story on some kind of aviation kinds of things. Have you ever seen that York Stodson Law pressure performance kind of relationships in some of the work that, that you've been experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of one of these things, isn't it, that um, 
it, it's almost so obvious that um, the, that it just gets wrapped into everything you're doing, and you need to be able to um, put things in a way that um, really reduces the amount of pressure on the on that cognitive load uh, more than anything else, and the ability to carry out them sort of tasks. So, yeah, I, I com- I'm completely completely with that. You can see you can see how it plays out. So, Nick, from your perspective, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean. I have it. I have it facetiously in in the show notes. And in other no duh news, the sky is blue. Um, look, I think I think there's been a lot of advances in artificial intelligence lately that maybe may not be, uh, or or it might be actually. We'll get to this in just a minute, but it might not be as perceptible to the public as they realize. Um, you know, even simple things like like uh, little learning apps like Duolingo or. Um, you know, any of these other little language learning or just trying to learn a new skill, often artificial intelligence is going on behind the scenes that will present uh, context-based knowledge to the user based on their previous responses. Uh, And I have a fun little anecdote about Duolingo that we can talk a little bit about later. But um, I do want to talk briefly about social thoughts. So if you are watching live, there's still time to answer our social thought. We are... Uh, of course, talking about AI and learning this week. And so tonight's social thought is, have you encountered AI when trying to learn something new? If so, where was it? And was it it successful? Um, As of right now, we are at 100% yes. We don't have any responses yet as to where those things were successful and and how was it successful. But 100% yes, which is a little surprising to me. Um, So we'll see how that changes throughout the show, if at all. you know, I think we can kind of take a, a step back. Um, this is an interesting article, but I do want to kind of cover some ground here on uh, generic backgrounds on learning and education. Frank, you and I covered this a little bit in the episode that you were on last. I think it was two at one ninety seven or something like that. I'll get I'll get an exact number on that, uh, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about how artificial intelligence is feeding education, and then we'll come back to the article discussion. Um, Barry, do you want to talk a little bit about this uh, this article by Nancy Fenton? It's on Psych Learning Curve. Um, if I had it up in front of me and I had lost <laughs> it, then yes, I would. Here, um, I'll I'll I'll, yes. uh, I'll lay it out for you. So there's uh, an article here um, that we're going to use as supplemental material. Here, there's two articles that we're going to use as supplemental material. This one's uh, twenty psychological principles that um, are kind of. Uh, impact learning, right? And so it's broken down by a couple categories. I figure maybe we can go down this list and kind of talk about uh, just a couple that stand out to us. Uh, in the show notes, I've highlighted my picks, but uh, anything that stands out to either of you, uh, Barry, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think the, I'm, I'm quite like the, 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 let's this story around feedback. And it is very much there around, um, You've got to close that loop of um, student. You know, you teaching something to a student and then them them feeding it, um, feeding it right back to you um, that they've understood it and um, actually thoroughly understand it, and they're not just repeating back. And I guess this is where that AI piece comes in because it allows a lot more of of, of that done on a on a personal level. So yeah, I think that feedback for me is probably the um, I think that one one of the key things in there that that this sort of technology can deal can, uh, can uh, sorry can play with. How about you, Frank? Anything that stands out on that list to you? Yeah, what's what's starting to ring a bell is the the context. 
the, the classroom conduct and especially ex expectations and support. Uh, and it's one of those things being in, in, in more of this kind of online environment, I think has really changed uh, what, what the expectations and support are. Uh, where, you know, for gosh, maybe hundreds of years, we've had a, a certain way of doing things uh, that's been ingrained year after year. You know, do this way, sit in your seat, uh, you know, pay attention when you tell you to pay attention, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and now this whole uh, online environment has given a lot more uh, freedom for, from that kind of thing. So I think there's a lot of adaptation and uh, calibration that's going on uh, with many different students. And some students are doing well. Some students need uh, maybe technology assistance uh, to kind of kind of help help calibrate uh, some of that. And maybe some students are thriving. It's one of those things we talk about negative effects, maybe for some things that are uh, some students are not used to or not suitable uh at least uh, in their in their mindset for kind of in classroom kind of experience are doing quite well uh so it'd be interesting to see any any kind of uh unintended data that comes out from, from all this uh time here uh separate yeah this this list is interesting so there's uh this is kind of like an overview of learning and it has a lot of um a lot of various uh, attributes here, right? We're talking cognition and I'm talking high level concepts here. There's 20 total. I'm not going to go over all of them. I think we've picked out some good ones already, but there's cognition and learning. There's motivation, social and emotional considerations, context and assessment. Frank, you brought up some great points about context. I want to talk briefly about the social component of this and assessment because um, Barry covered uh, cognition we can get into motivation if we want, but I think the social considerations are interesting from a perspective where you are dealing with an artificial intelligence. Uh, that social component kind of goes out the window or does it? You're then interacting with a virtual agent in some in some regard, right? I mean, it is presenting you information that is more relevant to you. It might not necessarily be interacting with you like a human might, but there's still some sort of human robot teaming going or human AI teaming going on behind the scenes that is uh, going to need to be taken into consideration. I think that would fit under this category of social and emotional dimensions, um, at least in terms of, you know, dealing with uh, virtual agents. Then you have the other uh, attribute of assessment. And this is, I think, where AI can really shine. Because if you have formative and summative assessments of uh, uh, some learners, um, I'm trying to make it fairly uh, ubiquitous here, some learners' ability, right? You have formative and summative assessments. Um, there's different approaches that are that can be taken for each of these. And I think AI can really provide uh, a useful input to these types of assessments because you might have, uh, you, you can evaluate effectiveness of some sort of intervention and then alter course and then evaluate that and then alter course again to give this personalized sort of uh, learning uh, curriculum for the learner. Uh, so I did want to touch on those. Uh, I'm going to do circle one more time. Barry, any of these other uh, attributes stand out to you that you want to talk about? Yeah, I actually want to push the um, the the assessment thing a bit further because I think this could be a um, a really big thing that not only can you sort of keep an eye on how things are going, but actually we 
we could really change the way we look at how we assess a lot of these courses because we 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 spend a lot of time obsessing over what grade did you get at the end you know largely we'll do either a piece of coursework at the end or you'll do your you'll do your exams or whatever and there's so much pressure on the exams and actually we can sort of see that the outputs that you get from the exams can be so skewed from what the actual skills of the person are when fundamentally what we're trying to do is to get um, a really good understanding of just how what are the skills and how capable is that person for either future and you know the next step of education or for, or for employment it's not just for the sake of having a certificate it's it's got to be something there so if we've got these ways that that can now assess almost on a continual basis and actually on, on a real small small scale you can you can actually judge when whether a person is just off their game and you, it could maybe highlight things like is there some mental health issues are they potentially ill something like that so so a, a real care element on a short-term basis but actually on a longer-term basis you will get a much better idea of their their capability and capacity um in a way that is um i don't use the word infallible that's probably gone a bit far but a much better thing uh much better idea than what what they were like just on one day in one exam room under one whatever pressure um that, that in an unrealistic situation so i think that for me would be an absolute um real win um but the, just the final one on the on on, on the back side of it is this the social interaction side of thing worries me to a certain extent because already we treat um you know the online and offline are two very different things so even if you're texting somebody messaging somebody um we think of it as you're talking to a computer you're talking and it, therefore it doesn't have the necessarily the same so social standing social kudos as talking to a what we call a real person so me talking face to face to somebody in the street is very different to the way that we're talking now um even though we know that we're real people well I believe you're real people, um, so I've been told. Um, but I wonder whether we um, would then, you know, if you've got, you got the people sat there talking on the phones all the time, doing chat, text chat on the phones, would this not maybe exacerbate that problem and get us maybe thinking that um, that a lot more stuff is, um, is online and therefore not real? So I think it, that's just a, a small flag. But actually, I find this story massively interesting um, for this. Yeah, Frank, I want to circle back to you. Is there any other attributes of, of learning and education that you want to highlight here before we move on to talking about specifically AI and education? I just wanted to, uh, to, to second kind of Barry's uh, assessment on some of the formative and summative things. Uh, the, uh, we think of a, you know, different kinds of users uh, in, in our human factors field to kind of not just the end user, but other kinds of maintainers and other kinds of things. So thinking about the teacher uh, as a type of user, being able to use AI to get a summary, say a dashboard summary of, of how different students are doing, uh, especially in an online environment. And if there's kind of a dip, like we talk about that performance curve, uh, to be able to use uh, uh, interventions, talking to the student, asking challenging questions and so that way it, it, it does so in, in a very safe manner of kind of okay student x is uh you know needs a little bit of a nudge okay i'll, I'll set a, a question or call on that student uh but also i think with the um, the interpersonal relationships the making sure that there's quality interactions and i think it was uh cal newport one of the authors that does stuff on digital minimalism talks about the importance of quality interactions, the difference between clicking like on something versus picking up the phone and talking to a friend you haven't talked to in a while. I think, Nick, we do need to catch up. <laughs> so, yeah, we do. <laughs> so, so, 
Uh, but yeah, that's uh, I think uh, nothing more to add on that. It's a lot, a lot of great things, a lot of great uh, possibilities, and it's great to see uh, something that's going on that's helping students, uh, especially in these uh, different times. Yeah, so let's get into this other supplemental article that we have here. This is from Ouyang and, and Jiao, and I'm probably messing up uh, pronunciation there, so apologies to the authors. Um, but I do want to like start this with a little anecdote that kind of fits in well with that assessment piece that we were just talking about. And I mentioned this earlier, um, so I've been re-kind of kindling my uh, ability to speak multiple languages. You might not necessarily think of it looking at me, but... I have many years of experience speaking Spanish, and I've lost a lot of that ability over time. Um, and sort of one of the things that has rekindled my uh, desire to speak another language is because I've started teaching my son the language, too. Now, I'm not like a fluent speaker by any stretch of the imagination, but I know enough to get by. If I were in a foreign country, um, Mexico, Spain, I could probably get, you know, enough out that I could find the you know local market or I could you know find a hospital or I could get on a plane or you know the the essentials um and I think that's really important to to do that anyway my my little guy he's young and I want to encourage that language development as he's young and so we've started pulling out the Duolingo app uh and one fun thing that I noticed it's kind of serendipitous that we're talking about the story tonight um is that as you get something incorrect in that app, the system will understand that you need to more practice with that. And they will loop that thing that you got wrong back into the practicing that you're doing. And so, you know, if you if you made just a minor mistake, it'll ask you the same question again. But after other things, it kind of just ropes it back into the curriculum without your knowledge that it's wasn't part of it to begin with. It's just saying, hey, you got it's subtly having you practice it again just to make sure that you got it right. Uh, and there are other subtle nods in that program that are really interesting from a learning perspective that encourage you to uh, sort of revisit the context-based uh, questions and that you got incorrectly. Um, and I'll just leave it at there. I do want to get into this article on education um, and just a, a brief overview here. This one kind of breaks down um, sort of AI and education into three different paradigms. And you have AI-directed, AI-supported, and AI-empowered. Maybe we can just break this down one by one and kind of talk about each of these. And then we'll talk about them all together. I don't know. Does that sound okay to you guys? Works for me. Yeah. Okay. Frank, why don't you go ahead and talk about paradigm one? It's at a high level. Okay. Yeah, so in paradigm one, the AI is used to represent uh, knowledge models and, and direct cognitive linking. Uh, so the, the AI will kind of represent uh, the domain knowledge. Uh, we talked in that previous article as you know, kind of a, a buddy that helps the children in the classroom uh, and directs the learning process. Uh, while the learner is a little bit more of a, in, in a passive mode, acting as a recipient of AI service, and following the, the, the instructions and, and the process to follow these uh, specific learning pathways. Uh, and it looks like there's a paradigm too. Uh, Barry, you wanna talk a little bit how the AI shifts during that, uh, during that phase? Yeah, so in paradigm two, the AI and the learner take on more collaboration, collaborative role with each other. So the AI is effectively relinquishing its control um, to support the learner. 
as they um, as, as they go through the uh, through that learning process. Um, so at a really high level, that's it. It's, it's more of a um, a learning together um, type approach. Nick, do you want to take us into into paradigm three? Yes, I will. So in in the third one, this is interesting, right? So this is uh, actually empowering learning um, while they are while the learners themselves are taking agency to learn, uh, and and that's a whole complicated sentence of a, a weird way of saying AI is just using a tool uh, is is used as a tool to augment human intelligence. Um, so it is. It's almost less learning based in that third paradigm and more geared towards augmenting abilities uh, and and kind of keeping that intelligence at um, uh, easily referenceable is, is at least how I'm understanding it. Um, Frank, I see is that I, that might be you, I think. Who who wrote that next point there? I want to talk to whoever wrote that next point. Get their thoughts <laughs> that was on that. Frank. Oh, that's, uh, it wasn't me. Yeah. Frank, what is this? What is this bullet point, and what do you mean? Oh, so it was looking at uh, some of the human factors research out there. It talks about what they're called levels of automation, uh, and there are a lot of many good researchers that talk about these different levels, which, uh, especially for uh, informing uh, design, uh, try to set the level of automation based on the the capabilities of the, the user at the time. Uh, so for certain levels. Uh, the automation would do a lot more of the work, uh, putting the humans maybe a little bit more of a, a supervisory level, uh, and then when it uh, it, it uh, when the humans want, if there's need for the for the user to do more of the task, uh, the the automation serves more of a checker, just to check to see, making sure that the, the that the user stays on track with certain certain parameters. So it's really interesting to see that uh, taken to probably a whole many levels of complexity with when AI is concerned because they're actually uh, representing the models and doing some of the, the, the actual learning itself. Uh, but it's really, really great to see how the, those kind of uh, traditional frameworks of automation start to now see itself uh, in, in this kind of AI work. Yeah. Uh, Barry, any other closing thoughts on, on this kind of other supplemental article on AI? And then we'll all kind of get back to the original article. Yeah, this is, um, I've sort of played with these domains before. I've sort of seen them as the, um, what, I, what I've read as the teacher learner mentor um, approach. So the the teacher is the AI te you, teaching you, the uh, the learner is you, you working together to learn on the on the journey. And the mentor bit is the, you know, the, 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 um, the learner taking that, that agency and the AI su supporting them. There was a really good um, book that I would recommend um, called Virtual Humans Today and Tomorrow by uh, David Burden. And this was all around what does the future of um, humans look like? And he really goes into a lot of detail around the mentor bit specifically. Um, and the main reason I know about it was because part of the project that they did was uh, they created a virtual Barry. Uh, where they took all that I create, I was a, and I, in fact, apparently still am, um, an online agent um, where they've taken all of my um, thoughts, experiences, and things like that. So, but what they've done with that is turn it into a chatbot that can then support as a mentoring um, of individuals. So that that whole bit around AI empowering people, I just find absolutely fascinating, and it's really, really something to watch. 
Yeah, let's get back to the original article here. So one kind of thing that I want to make sure we talk about that I thought was really interesting is that they're kind of using AI, at least in the context of this article, for uh, physical hands-on activities. And they're using this tool called Norilla, um, or, or uh, which is a mixed reality learning platform, um, basically allowing children to interpret real-world experiments uh, and they and they get this feedback and it's it's an earthquake table um, ramps or other physical apparatuses uh, with AI turned on and off. Um, and, and the idea behind this article is that, you know, as the AI is on, uh, just to remind everybody, they are more successful at learning. Um, so I do want to talk about that. Frank, do you have any thoughts about using this platform um, now after we've kind of visited all the other uh, supplemental material here. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those things where uh, I think where some of the uh, individual differences can start putting into play. Uh, and so I think you know when there's using being able to turn AI off or have different modes of AI where students can learn. Uh, and this is kind of especially helpful in, in the classroom where. You may have uh, students with different abilities, different uh, learning styles, different kind of just baseline abilities. And it's one of those things where uh, teachers, could, I could imagine, can kind of struggle making sure that keeping pace with everything. So using the AI to help boost and, and, and challenge the students uh, would be something that would be uh, pretty pretty neat to see in, in classrooms. Barry, any other thoughts on on this article? Yeah, I think this is this is highlighted the fact that a there's loads of staffing pressures going on in in schools and um, educational facilities at the moment, and this is a fantastic way of being able to relieve some of that pressure, to be able to get some more uh, directed education towards each individual student based on their own capability and being able to push them to their own limit much more often. So you'd almost if if it's implemented right, you've got the ability to keep that student constantly engaged and motivated and a motive somebody who's motivated to learn will learn way more and be be more successful rather than just being droned out from the um from the, the front of the classroom but fundamentally i think this also highlights the that i think um you know the tra traditional educational model is broken this took this article talks a lot about active learning and things that you need a lot more resources to do than just stand at the front of a classroom and lecture um, if we want to have quality learning, it isn't about how long you spend in this, in an establishment. It's the quality of learning that you get out of it during, you know, and in fact, if we can get people to learn more in a shorter period of time, it makes it way more effective. So I think it, for me, this shows how technology can have a, um, a huge impact and could probably revolutionize what we do, but also we need to take it as a wake up call, um, about how we, um, are actually teaching people um and getting the most value out of that teach that that our teaching practices you know you left it on a semi hopeful note and i'm going to use that as a springboard to leave it uh on a on a somber note um it it's often fun for us to sit here and talk about these types of things on a platform we are uh i guess uh, fortunate enough to have the technology to stream a podcast across the internet to many people. Um, but, you know, I think this really does highlight the importance of equity of, uh, of technology and, and um, you know, to, to be able to 
have this sort of equipment in every classroom and not just uh, the classrooms in the good zip codes or postal codes, uh, but to have this in every classroom and have it be a, a, uh, a learning experience that everyone gets access to, I think is a really important thing. Uh, and so I'll just leave it with that. <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a quick break on that note, and then we'll be right back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. If you normally skip over the Patreon section, don't this time because I there's something else here. So a huge thank you, as always, to our patrons. Uh, we did pick up two new patrons this month, so we're always happy to have you. Uh, and we especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors cast staff, uh, Michelle Tripp, patrons like you keep the show running. Um, while we're on the topic of Patreon, I'm going to go off a little bit off script here from our normal Patreon begging uh, to cover this because it's it's such a nice letter from one of our new patrons and I, I wanted to read it on the show. Uh, they write, Hi, I've been listening to your podcast for months and I really want to tell you that the show has helped me a lot. I work for a Taiwanese computer manufacturing company as a human factors engineer. It can be frustrating sometimes to be a minority in a design team where most of my coworkers are not quite familiar with human factors and ergonomics. Uh, except anthropometry, uh, they need those data to support their design. I was struggling on how to introduce human factors and ergonomics knowledge to my coworkers without making our conversation boring or too hard for a casual chat. And then I found this show. Not only did I gain knowledge from the show, but I also found opportunities to share human factors and ergonomics studies in a less stressful and more interesting way. Thank you for making this wonderful podcast. English is not my first language. Please accept my apologies if there's any grammar error. Best. I'm leaving them anonymous because I didn't ask them if I could use their name. We just got this in today, but I did want to read it. Um, we always love hearing stories like this. Uh, I think, you know, one of my goals with this podcast is always to make human factors accessible um, and fun. And so thank you. Uh, love hearing that from, from you guys. Um, speaking of patrons, we're two away from being self-sustainable and not incur any out-of-pocket costs. So you know, we pay for the show ourselves. That's going to pay for things like our hosting fees, our website domain, and our website capabilities. So anyway, if, if you're, that's something you want to do, it's out there. Uh, we're <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show we like to call... It came from... It came from... Yes, it came from this week. It is all Reddit. Uh, this is the part of the show where we search over the internet to bring you topics the community's talking about. If you find these answers useful, give us a like wherever you're at to help other people find this content. We have three tonight, uh, and we're going to get into them. So the way this is going to work, I'm going to read it. I'm going to pass it to Barry or Frank. Be on your toes, guys. And then uh, we'll pass it to somebody else. So everyone has to be on their toes tonight since it's a three-headed game. 
this first one here is what exactly are human factors skills? This is by IDK witty username uh, from the human factors subreddit. <laughs> uh, goes to show I don't read these usernames before I say them. Uh, as the title says, when you're applying for human factors jobs, what are the skill sets that you guys have or want to have that employers are looking for? I've been told that human factors is a good industry route following completion of my PhD. And uh, I'm going to skip all that. But looking at job postings, it seems a little unclear to me. Uh, that's an attainable route. Uh, there seems to be a lot of UX design, which I have little experience, uh, although I think there are certain transferable skills and rules. But curious to know what people think, like statistics, coding. Uh, perusing this sub a little bit, it appears that uh, there's a few different sides of human factors. Some uh, sound more attainable than others. Happy to talk about in any other way, just trying to pick people's brains. All right, who's it going to be? Frank, what do you think? What exactly are human factors skills? I think the I think the first one is empathy. Uh, I know it's something that you don't study, uh, but to understand the users, being able to uh, fundamentally understand what are they going through task-wise, performance-wise, and that helps with your intuition to be able to see what is the, the root problem. Because a lot of times uh, in human factors, there are a lot of confounding problems, both technological, organizational, human interaction with technology that are in there. And so to be able to kind of pick through that uh, to, to, to help identify the problem will put any kind of human factors practitioner at a good uh, starting point. Uh, so that would be my, my number one draft pick. I think we were talking sports in the pre-show on, on uh, human factor skills. It's empathy. All right. Who are you going to pass it to, Frank? Uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go with Barry. Let's see what uh, what is the the code number one pick, I guess. <laughs> oh, I, can can I bring out the word? It depends. Is is that allowed? Took yeah. It's uh, <laughs> no. I mean, fundamentally, it's it's. What I, and it's one of the reasons I love working in the HF world is that the range of things we can get involved with is so broad, you know, from the physical to the cognitive to the organizational, HCI design, UX design, if you're down with the cool kids, um, all, all the way down to, you know, physical hand, you know, physical design of an, of, of an object. And, and it really depends what you want to get into. Um, but what I, the, the big thing I like about it is that there is always an excuse for us to get involved. Um, every project involves people one way or another, even in things like um, autonomous systems and things like that. There's always a user in the loop somewhere. Um, so we have a really good excuse to go and get involved in anything do, and do everything. I think for me, that there's, there is a lot of like hard skills in, in terms of what you, get, what you get. But fundamentally, I think you need to be inquisitive. You need to be... Um, willing to um, put forward an argument in a room where you might not be popular. Um, and you've got to be willing to stand your ground because you're going to get into a lot of discussions, a lot of uh, places where you might be the one lone HF person in the room, um, but you're right. And you need to tell everybody you're right because your end user will thank you for it. Yeah. Uh, so you took empathy. You took uh, sort of the it depends route. I'm going to go with the word flexibility. Um, and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to bring up the full saying of Jack of all trades, uh, because no one knows the full saying 
or at least they always misquote it. A jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. And I think this is really important when it comes to human factors. I think being flexible is one of the biggest strengths that we have in this field. Um, I was going to go on a tangent about how I always pick in MMOs or video games the class that kind of uh, is best suited for most situations, but is not really uh, hyper-focused in one. I'm not going to go that route. I said it. But um, I think, you know, we may be facing like a, a project management role in one context or a user research role in another context or a designer role even in another context. And I think that flexibility to work within your constraints and ultimately put your best foot forward to ensure that you have the empathy for the user, uh, you know, is out there and, and that you are putting your best foot forward with the design and uh, making sure that whatever product you put out there is going to ultimately serve its use case best for the people who are using it. I think that's ultimately what the, to me, what human factor skills are. Okay, that was a long-winded answer. Let's get on to this next question here. Um, how do you conduct and analyze research in relation to a product feature? This is by Mouth Talk on the user experience subreddit. We're going to go Frank again. You thought I was going to switch it up. <laughs> rock, paper, rock. <laughs> Analyzing research in uh, relation to product. Sure. Oh, see. I didn't read the thing. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's, that's my bad. Uh, wow. I've been doing this for how many years? Uh, this is the, they write, hey, everyone, some background on my question. That would help, right? Uh, I work in-house on one product used by large companies, and my research slash UX process typically consists of working on one page, flow, or process, or feature within the product. I was wondering how the process of research and design typically goes for others in this situation. Lots of materials and advice out there seem to cover end-to-end -end design uh, or of a full product. Do you find that you'll go through the full process for each project or skip parts? What does your research typically focus on? What methods do you use the most? Curious to see everyone's answers. All right, Frank, we're going with you now that I've given up the full context of this question. <laughs> How do you conduct and analyze research that is for a specific product feature? rather than the whole product. Yeah, so, so I think a lot of the reasoning of, of why uh, uh, one would do research for a certain product feature, it, it just depends on where the product is in its life cycle. Uh, so a lot of times it's easy to assume that, hey, we're designing a system from scratch and we get to do the whole holistic method or we have time to do our discovery. But sometimes, uh, especially in larger companies and, and depending on what, what project that you're on, you have, uh, uh, maybe a more mature product, and it's a, a, a little feature that helps enhance that 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 product. Let's say an incremental feature. Uh, so being able to kind of understand where you're at with the life cycle will help uh, the path in, uh, in conducting the research. Uh, the, and and once you, especially for a, a specific product, you want to uh, kind of follow more more standards based kinds of things versus research because there's things that are maybe already built or established rules and best practices for that. Uh, and then being able to uh, use those findings to help help towards the the bigger bigger research effort. So it's a lot of the scoping effort, uh, and, and and once you you apply the scoping and the constraints, say like filters on a, on a spreadsheet of 
processes and tools, you can kind of find the ones that, that work best for you in your in, in your tool toolkit. Um, Nick, any any uh, what what are your thoughts on on this uh, product feature? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, for me, when I'm approaching just a product feature, uh, I'm going to say it. It depends, but I think largely what I'll do is kind of understand the context of that feature in the larger uh, either workflow or product that it belongs to. Um, I think understanding that context really helps with sort of um, outlining exactly what you need to do to research that thing, right? Do you need to do uh, a deeper analysis because this is a standalone product or, you know, you know, it is a product feature in this case. So I guess it would be what exactly do I need to research? Frank, you mentioned, you know, you, you, there might be things that are already established for a product, certain design uh, standards, uh, design guidance that exists already that you don't have to think so hard about, about this specific feature. So, you know, I'd focus more on things like workflow um, or how they get to that product, the entry points and exit points from that product feature uh, from other parts of the product as a whole. Um, that's kind of my short answer. Barry, I'm going to pass it over to you. What do you think? How do you tackle I'll, this problem? Yeah, I'll take that. I mean, alongside the stuff that um, that you've both said, I, I sort of go by, I, I take a lot from Agile in uh, Agile approaches in this, that I, I tend to have a mantra of scope, size, and maturity, which means that scoping it, what is the scope of what you're talking about? Is is what what you're getting manageable? It, does it and give itself to a good um, user story in of its own right, or is it more of an epic? Um, so an epic, a, a number of use cases put pulled together. So have you got things down? Can you derive it down to either a use case or a set of use cases? What is the size of of the overall um, piece? Is it is it very large, or s small? Are you talking about the um, an entire product, or are you talking about an, a small element of it? And that really allows me to sort of determine what sort of products I want, uh, what sort of methods and tools I want to bring into play. And the final thing is maturity. Is it something I just need to tweak? Is it something that's got a lot of work in, and I just need to push it slightly forward in in a new way? Or is it broken and I get the joy of ripping it to shreds and starting again? Um, so I, I guess mine is is really influenced by the fact I tend to do a lot of, I guess, firefighting um, rather than starting many products from scratch. And so I tend to go in and, and have a fairly almost strict analysis way of going through and being able to look at my scope size maturity and then be able to apply what I want to do. I've, I've found just through hard experience being able to do that saves me so much time at the far end because I can set expectation and I can set my own expectation as well as well as the clients. Good answer. Uh, speaking of basically uh, research side of things, let's talk about turning that research into design. And then uh, specifically, this next question here, advice on making designs that are easier for developers to follow. This is went wrong at prom. Uh, from the user experience subreddit. Uh, don't even know what it, don't even want to know what that means. Um, current student, relatively new to UX and UI. I've been working with a small team of developers on a startup. Want to make their life easier by translating my designs to an actual product. I've been using an eight point grid so far, but I'm not sure what else I can do to streamline the process. Does anyone have advice on optimizing dev handoff? Uh, things I should avoid doing in my designs, tools that may help. Thank you. All right. We went with Frank for the first two. Who are we going to go with for the last one? It's going to be Barry. Oh, nobody saw that one coming, did they? Um, the, 
I guess the first thing I would I would sort of say from my perspective is don't hand it off. Um, if you can, try and get try and get part of the team work work with the devs alongside them because if you can, uh, the best teams I've ever worked with is when you can get the whole team together where you've got the dev and you, uh, the devs and yourselves working as part of that same. Again, I guess I'm leaning towards agile in a certain way, but this existed way before agile did. I guess it uh, really. Um, so I tend to use things. So Figma is a great thing where you can actually, you know, you do designs, but you can actually demonstrate them designs. So show the devs what it is that you're really wanting to achieve, not just the actual graphics, but use that presentation mode, which is really powerful to be able to flow and show them what your intent is, not just the actual hard design, but what is it you're trying to achieve. Um, basic things, style guides and things like that. Get a lot of the basic stuff um done and out the way use that um sometimes you think for a small project do it, developing a style guide and things can be a real pain you just want to get on and do do the good juicy stuff but it actually saves you time i, th I think in the in the long term um but fundamentally no matter what you do get everybody in the same room and, and communicate um don't i, I worry when i see the com um Comments like "I want to hand it off" or like a, like a, like that hot football, hot potato. Um, actually, get you know, bring them in closer. Um, give them a nice hug. Tell them what you want. Anybody else do that, or is it just me? Oh, I love that, Frank. I'm going to punt to you. What What do you do in this situation? Yeah, I, I kind of have a similar similar approach to Barry, having conversations, uh, and that's probably one of the also the agile kind of uh, best practices or principles is that the having a conversation allows you to understand what the developer needs. So if you treat the developer as, as, as another user or an internal customer, you'll get their user needs, you'll get their pain points, you'll get feedback on the way you're doing things. And, uh, and it's best to not, not just a Slack chat or an email, it's the, the pick up the phone. We've talked about deep levels of communications, or I guess Slack call, huddle, Teams call, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you have to get the other person on the line and hearing their voice. Uh, because you can pick up a lot of the social cues on how things are going. Fine doesn't always mean fine, and good doesn't always mean good. Uh, and so to get that kind of feedback and, and, and tailor your processes and tools, there's a lot of tools out there that you can pick from, uh, but it's a, like, you know, a lot of the themes are said in a lot of these other things. It's the soft skills and, and using those tools and getting that art of finding what tools to use that, that will uh, help set, set someone for success. Uh, Nick, you have any additional thoughts on, on this one here? Yeah, the only thing I want to add to this is, okay, I, I understand it's best to uh, include them in the process. I completely agree. That's how I operate, too. However, I'm going to approach this in the handoff, uh, in the handoff direction. So I think the, the one thing you want to consider here, if you are handing off, again, best practice is to not do that. But um, do it in a way where you provide as much information and context as possible. Um, make a very thick document that would encourage them to sit down and meet with you next time because they don't want to sit down and read through this whole thing. Uh, but also, you know, make this a standalone product. Make it, hey, users were saying X, Y, and Z, back it with user data, and um, say that, you know, this is a required feature or uh, component that you need in order to satisfy user needs. Um, so bring in the actual data and then as you're talking about designs itself, so you've given them the context with the data, when you're presenting the designs itself, make sure you list out every single interaction as it should be. And, you know, if you can, down to the specifications of like 
transitions on on uh you know if you're talking about strict interaction design what you know the cursor speed and all these other things the very specific um attributes of your design the color codes everything that way you are eliminating possibilities that they mistake what you have given them as some sort of rough approximation and they now will take that as the ground truth uh, and that's my best advice if you do hand it over. Again, best practice is to kind of go with the, hey, come over here. I'm going to give you a hug. We're going to take a look at this. You're going to ask me any question you need to uh, because we are best buds. All right. Uh, that is all uh, for the it came from section. We're going to get into this last part of the show. Needs no introduction. It's one more thing. Um, this is where we talk about just one more thing. Barry, what's going on with you? Um, I'm going to take my one more thing and split it in half. So it might look like two more things, but it's not. It's just two halves of the same thing. Um, <laughs> so in a couple of weeks, I on the 3rd of November, I'm chairing a Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors webinar with Mark Sajan, Paul Salmon, and Rachel Poole talking about using artificial intelligence in healthcare. So we'll be publishing that, um, all the details for that fairly soon. But if you're interested in in learning more about that, there's just been a, a white paper published and it's really actually from a geek perspective like me, really interesting. So I'm really, um, really sure to be asked to chair that. But my true one more thing is I've just had to buy a new washing machine and a washing machine for me just you know, washes clothes. And that's brilliant. Does it read, but it's got, it's Bluetooth enabled as in I've got, now got an app for the washing. Do I need an app for the washing machine? And I've got the same for the dishwasher. And in fact, Somewhat now, the 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 um, clothes dryer doesn't have a um, an app. I, I almost feel like that's that's a bit left out. I kind of think we're going all over the top with the uh, with the level of apps that are required. Can I ask what the app does? Like, is it just a, a interface? Like, is there no interface on the physical device, or is it? Is it all no, no, there's, it there's, there's there's the usual interface. There's the usual controls on the front of the washing machine, um, but this apparently will allow allow me to check where it is in its cycle. Which I'll know because if it's stopped, I know it's finished. If it's if it's still going and making noises, it's still going. Um, apparently, this one will we might allow me to set it off remotely. So, which in theory sounds sounds good. I can sort of see that. However, I have to go to the physical machine, turn it into remote mode. So I have to fill it. We say you know you got to put your clothes in and your detergent and all that sort of stuff. Then set it in remote mode. Go to another part of my house wherever, um, and then access the app on my phone. It's got to be within Bluetooth um, range and then set it going on its remote cycle. When actually, if I'd loaded it, I could have just pressed go before I left. Instead of putting it into remote mode, I'd have just put it into a normal <laughs> mode. So, yeah, I, I like this idea. I, I love Geek. I, I uh, complete Gadget Geek, and I think everything like that is amazing, but I just can't help thinking, um, I don't think my washing machine needs its own app. Like, look, I get the use case for a dryer, right? You're sitting in bed and you still have a load in there from last time and you, you know, you want warm socks or whatever and you just hit it while you're on your phone. And that to me makes sense. But a washing machine, weird. Uh, Frank, what's your one more thing this week? Yeah, it was actually uh, involves a trip to Costco. And so I got these new earbuds and I was just kind of trying them out. Uh and just kind of walking along the aisle. And, and, and usually when I go to Costco or any kind of grocery store with a common layout, I'm just kind of in my own world, just kind of just, you know, just on autopilot. 
but they changed the snack section. I, I get these like mixed nuts or beef jerky at this Costco because the holiday season has come in. And so the snack section is usually right before the registers at the Costco where I shop at. Uh, but then I, I just didn't know what to do. There goes my mental model, as I said. But I was actually listening in these earbuds to a previous version of this uh, episode of the podcast on mental models and cognitive models. Uh, I think that you two have gone. So that, it was kind of a, 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 whoa, okay, calm down. <laughs> my, my mental model has changed. I'll listen to the podcast and and, and kind of get, get some tips and tricks on what to do. So it was really uh, more of a coincidence and kind of a, a funny thing since it happened recently and, and now I'm here to talk about it. So that was a, a cute coincidence there. That's that's funny that you were listening to the mental model one when that happened. Um, my one more thing is, is uh, I guess... Uh, let's see here. So I had, are you, are you familiar that the pixel six, uh, event was earlier this week? I think it was on Tuesday. Yeah. I heard about that. Y'all, y'all gadget geeks. So, um, here's, here's my, I've wanted this phone since they announced it back earlier this year, um, because it's time for an upgrade and, uh, mine's from 2017, which isn't that long ago, but it's long enough. Uh, and it's only got 64 gigabytes of storage on it. And I need, I desperately need more for the type of things that I'm doing now. Um, like, you know, podcasting and storing media on my actual phone. Um, anyway, so here's, let me describe to you the launch experience of the Pixel 6 Pro. So you sit down, you watch an hour long video on YouTube uh, by Google about the phone. You get super hyped, super excited about the new product, and then you spend two more hours on Google's broken store trying to order this product, getting frustrated because it is uh, bouncing stock around um, because the store is broken. It couldn't accurately identify to me what things were in stock. So I wanted the 512 gigabyte black version because that is just it's it's the only version that has the 512 gigabytes and I want a lot of storage. Um, but then I also wanted it in this package called the Pixel Pro Pass, which includes things like uh, their Game Pass and YouTube Premium and the the cloud storage, which all of those things I use. Well, maybe not the games yet, but maybe I will. Uh, anyway, it's it's a package that saves you money over the long term. So I, I was trying to get all this stuff together, and um, it was an awful experience. Uh, but I'm super happy. I stuck with it. I stuck with it. Um, and you know, one hit on my credit report later, cause I have to get it through Google's financing, uh, <laughs> accounts. Anyway, I got it and it'll be here next month and I'll report back on that. But I'm, I'm very thankful that I was able to get, stick through it for three hours trying to get that phone on a wow. Tuesday. Um, anyway, yeah, that's it. I got more fun, exciting things to talk about next week for one more thing. But before we get out of here. I just want to say, well, we got a couple more votes in. It's still 100% yes for learning with uh, with AI, which is interesting to me. Not a single person said no as of this recording. 5.27 p.m. on a Thursday evening Pacific. All right. Well, that's going to be it for today, everyone. If you like this episode, we invite you to check out episode 196. I've been quoting it wrong this entire time, where Frank and I talk about how Google is improving virtual classrooms and comment wherever you're listening on what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Slack or Discord communities. Visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. One, leave us a five-star review. That's completely free for you to do. You can do that right now in whatever podcast app you're in. Two, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth really helps the show grow. And three, 
You can always support, uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. Again, we are two away from being self-sustainable, everyone. <laughs> Let's get there. And as always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. I want to thank Mr. Barry Kirby for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about artificial intelligence? On Twitter, you can find me at Baz underscore K, or you can search for 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, where I'm at my new shiny website, www.1202podcast.com. And Mr. Frank Laxon, where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about education and learning? Oh, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, F. Laxon uh, is my guess, uh, my screen name there. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me streaming on Twitch every Monday for office hours across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. It depends. You are hanging out with us. Hang out with us just for a little while longer. We're going to do a post show here. Let me turn on the future pop music. Uh, we'll get the post show caption going. There we go. That was fun, guys. Uh, I was I was a little. Um, it's, it's always a. It's, it's what's the for storming forming. Uh, the, the team forming thingy. Forming, yeah. Storming, forming, yeah, forming. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like we got to norming pretty quick, but it was a little bit of storming at the beginning. Well, we didn't hit each other, and there was yeah, no, no there's no much fighting or disagreements, which is a bit disappointing, really. But there we go. You know? <laughs> You've been watching oh. too much American football. <laughs> hey, Barry, Barry, you mentioned you follow rugby. Did did you ever play any? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, I did. The um, I did um, obviously at college and university. I, I played a bit, but then I. Um, I got a, a shoulder injury and then got into rugby coaching. And so I coached a few teams and um, for, for a good few years, actually, and particularly into well, men's rugby, but also women's rugby as well. My wife decided she wanted to play. And so she said, oh, we need a coach for a team. I was like, okay, I, I can recommend so I can go and find somebody who will do it. She goes, no, no, you misunderstand. You're going to coach our team. Okay, I'll, I'll do that then. And so I spent a few years rugby coaching as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah. That's What's awesome. That? I, yeah, oh, I, used to, I used to play, uh, and uh, uh, for me, it was a neck injury. That's why, I don't know, during the show, you see me kind of creaking my neck a little bit. Uh, so I kind of took the, uh, not so much shoulder, but neck for me. But it was it was, it was a lot of fun, a really fun, uh, very respectful culture in, in terms of the uh, how, how the game is played, which is a lot of people don't realize it. Yes. What's one piece of advice from a coach uh, that you would give for general life advice based on rugby um make sure you've always got a drink to hand that's probably from my best i guess i guess <laughs> from the more serious bit is always um always know where your mates are because okay. uh they're, they're the ones who are going to back you up when you go down that's a good so, one i like that one i like that one that you know, with all the things today I've, uh, this evening i've been i've been quite deep in my uh in my analysis i'm surprising myself don't you love it when like that's that's kind of the beauty of these live shows <laughs> like, <laughs> like oh, wow i can't believe that just came out of my mouth that was great yeah oh, man. <laughs> so. uh, so, how do we recording to go back and see what i said oh yes we are that's useful <laughs> yeah you know sometimes i'll i'll have those moments on the show and i'm like i don't listen to the show every week like i used to in the beginning uh yeah. to audit you know kind of like oh shoot i shouldn't have said that um 
I, I go back and listen every once in a while. I'll just do like a little random check, probably like every 10 episodes or something. And I'm like, oh, that was, oh, geez. Okay. That was really good. <laughs> no wonder, <laughs> like I kind of amazed myself, uh, but uh, you know, humility over here. Um, yeah. Next, next time you're at Costco, give it a try. <laughs> Costco. Yeah, I, uh... I'll, I'll be sure to listen to the mental model one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't listen back to mine at all. Um, really, I listen. I'll dip check into them when when they've been recorded, just to make sure that they did record and, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And I'll have a quick, you know, I'll keep an eye on if as I'm going through a, an episode or an interview. If there's something I I think, oh, that was contentious, or I might need to, th- I'll make a note. So I'll go back. And if I make no notes, I don't need to go back and check it. So I'll you know cut it, push it, um, and let it go live. Um, but then I had a weird. Um, thing where so I was having I was having a conversation, it was a panel discussion. And one of the um other guy well actually the, the other girl on the panel, um, she quote she she quoted um something off off her thing um as as part of her presentation piece. And I was like, oh that was that was a nice quote that I I like that. And so I said to her afterwards, oh do you mind where where did you get that quote from? Because it was it was really good. She goes, that was you off your own podcast. Like, <laughs> wow. Oh um um okay I, sh- I should have really known my own what i've what i've said I, but i inspired myself i like that <laughs> i haven't had that moment yet um i only get those like little moments of like uh and and i this is kind of tangentially related it's like oh people actually listen to the show it's been quite good I've, I've had a friend of mine um uh, messaging me as we go through the show said um basically um he's, he's been listening and um but unfortunately he's been listening to us drunk which is why he's why, why he's not actually quite he's been quite restrained he hasn't he didn't put any public comments up um <laughs> and so i was like um but yeah he's just said oh, i'm listening to you drunk um and then he started talking about paradigms and stuff and i, can't, I couldn't keep track <laughs> I <was> like, okay, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Frank, yes. have you ever had that experience where like um like you gone to a conference or something and someone didn't realize uh that they were talking to you or uh you didn't realize you were talking to somebody or somebody recognized you and you're like, "Oh. <laughs> you ever had one of those experiences?" I've had uh yeah, experiences where yeah, where especially for like a lot of these like coffee break kinds of things. And then, and then later there'd be more of a kind of a say social happy hour kind of situation where you get to talk a little bit longer and said, oh, oh, hi, I'm Frank. And then the, the other person says, yeah, I know we, we talked at coffee yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, so, so it, it, for me, faces, I, I don't recognize as much, but names, which is, which is kind of strange. So it's like, if I see a name, I kind of encode it in my mind and, and never forget the name or rarely forget it or don't know. I don't forget it. <laughs> I guess, but uh, faces is really interesting where, where I don't, I don't get to pick up as much. See, I'm completely the other way around. That I recognize faces um, majority of the time, so I'll do the whole. Oh, I know you from somewhere. Rubbish at remembering names. So if you you go around the room and you know you do the round the table, who are we all? I'm like, this is completely pointless because about two seconds after you say your name, I'm gonna forget it, or I'm there scribbling, writing them down to try to try and do it. Um, you know. You know, it'd be an interesting uh, social experiment is if you had one of those ice breaking things, but like 
uh, I don't know. It, it had to be. It had, would have to be an event where there's like little to no social cost for not remembering somebody's name. But <laughs> if you if you kind of just went around the horn telling interesting things about you or your research or something, and then nobody said their names until like you know if you wanted to go network with somebody after the event, you know, it, it'd be like one of those things. Where it's like that was really interesting. I'm really curious about what that person said. I'm gonna go up to them and ask their name. You know, it's like. That puts the pressure off to really, like, you know, you wouldn't introduce yourself. You just yeah. like just jumping into stuff you've done and kind of interesting, right? Because well, then it it really, I don't know. There's also some of this like social pressure attached to names um, when, you know, like let's say they've put out a, se a piece of seminal work or they're really important in a certain um, organization or so, you know. But if you're just talking to them as a person and don't put a name to it then like i don't know you feel like those connections uh might be stronger i don't know i don't know it's an interesting social experiment well there's also something like that with um things like your post nominals and things like that as well but if you just put up your um just put up your name just on its own um i, I tend to think that people will interact with you better um you know or more normally shall we say um, but then if, as soon as you give them a business card, which maybe has got your post nominals on or, um, you know, an email or something like that, I'm like, oh, what do all these letters mean? And they suddenly mm -hmm. start getting all, um, you know, or certainly tr treat you differently. Um, or maybe it's just my parents. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I've certainly found that because I also do, um, I get involved in politics in, in over here as well. And so when, when I'm trying to get, I'll send some, somebody an email from maybe my work address as opposed to just my my personal address and um and they see a very different side of me i guess and it, it does change the way that people interact with you yeah i had a colleague who was very adamant about um leaving off phd from their uh from their email signature because they didn't want to intimidate the people that they were talking to from the user perspective right they didn't want um somebody to feel like oh they're talking to a doctor over here uh but you know they just wanted them to think that they were some person um i don't know have you have you what, what about you frank what do you think it, it tends to happen a lot in uh kind of conferences you, you get your, your name tag and you can go to the uh you know the place where you get the uh uh what do you call those little ribbons Right, like yeah. session chair or something like that, first time member. Uh, and, and it was good to see you talking about the Yerkes Dodson curve, where there's, you know, the people that are new that have that. And then you have the people, you know, that are uh, maybe uh, still trying to prove something and they'll have a lot of, you know, a lot of things. And, uh, you know, I, I was probably at that stage. And then, and then, and then you get to that point where, like, the, the more established the person has, they just don't put anything. And some some people will just walk around with, even without a name tag, uh, and so it, it causes people to go to introduce yourself and uh, be more approachable versus someone you see, you know, kind of like a like a general or something. <laughs> Looks <laughs> yes. like that. I always flip over my conference badge so that way people can't see my name. Is that something that you you do? Like I I will do it if they request me flip it over or they ask me what my name is, but I usually flip it so that way no one can see. So I've seen now, uh, in fact, the ergonomics conference, the Chat Institute's conference, the EHF, whatever year you're in, 
they've actually got a got a good trick now. They print your name on both sides of the of the, um, of the tag, and I'm just like, ah, you, you you've done that because there is not. I mean, I don't know what it is about the. Um, there must be some really good statistical modeling or something behind it. But no matter when you're wearing the tag, um, if it's got a blank side, it will always go to the blank side whenever you don't want it to. <laughs> right. As soon as you don't want to be known, it'll air it'll flip. It's like some somebody's there and it'll just flip it over just so it's present when you're trying to be maybe slightly more more incognito. Yeah. Mine isn't really associated with like incognito or anything. It's just one of those things where it's like if you're if you're going to talk to me, you either know who I am or we're talking because of the subject matter and not because of, you know, I, I have a podcast or anything like that. It's, it's, um, I guess that is incognito in a way. So I don't know what I'm talking about here. I mean, you don't have that moments where you're just like, do you not know who I am? <laughs> do you, I host a podcast on human factors. I'm going to, do you know who I am? Oh. So I, I had a slightly embarrassing moment today. So um, I think I, my, I mentioned my wife is doing started her uh, human factors degree, which is very exciting. Um, but she was in. She's also now signed up as a as a student member of the of the Chartered Institute of Economics and Human Factors. And so she was doing her. Um, they now do sessions. So if you're a new member, they'll get the new members in in for a, a quick you know Zoom call to make sure everything's all right. Do you, you know you get the most out of the institute and things like that. And so she was in that se- in that session today, and um, apparently one of the other people in the room messaged her and said, "Do you know Barry Kirby?" She's like, yes, it's my, <laughs> my husband. She goes, he hosts that podcast. I really like it. And I was like, "What?" And so she's messaging me this and, um, and 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 a few other bits that were going on. I was like, "Check my ego out. It's like this big." But. Um, but yes, it, that so that's my that's my claim to fame for today. It's um, somebody else, at least one other person, has listened to the podcast. Uh, those are fun times, fun times. Oh. Uh, what, what else is going on, guys? It's a really weird week. Not a vast amount. I seem to be so flat out with work and and all that sort of stuff that it's. Um, I've, I've sort of had the past two days of doing i know you shouldn't call it daddy daycare when you look after your own children but i've been doing daddy daycare because uh um my wife's been going off went off to a spa for for two days you've been fathering yeah yeah doing that whole parental responsibility thing um but the um but yeah it's it's been it's been bad for her to be able to go and you know have a bit of a break and apparently she's had massages and and all this sort of stuff and i think well I, so, of course, I come back with a response of, well, I'd quite like to go for um, um, a couple of days break. And she's like, oh, do you want to go for a massage and stuff? I'm like, well, not really, no, but I don't know. Some sort of um, gadget show type thing or, you know, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> there Apparently that doesn't fall under the same realms. <laughs> it's, uh, oh. that's, that's a bummer. <laughs> oh. Frank, so, what's going Frank- on with you? Well, for me, I've been trying to reestablish my commute, uh, and that's something I, I read about. Where uh, it was actually, it was kind of strange. Where it was, I think it was like back in 2019, where I started doing a, uh, a more telework job, but it was before the pandemic hit. And it was this uh, 
on an airplane and they said, oh, you know, there was, I think it's actually LinkedIn. It was through LinkedIn Learning or something. They had like a sponsored video on, 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 on telecommute best practices. And I said, oh, nice, nice, cute five minute video. I'll listen to it there, you know, you know two weeks later. It's like, oh my gosh, that was an hour long video on <laughs> how to do telework. And then one thing I forgot about is uh, establishing a commute, doing something to get you into the mode of working and something to get you in the mode out of working. Uh, so whether it's uh, taking a walk, reading a book, and something, something, something that's more ritualistic and consistent yeah. to kind of get you into this. And then uh, uh, one of the things is like, I, I like to do like, Things like here, like helping out with a podcast is, is a great way of kind of getting away from work and kind of getting back to, you know, regular non-work kinds of things. So that's that's one thing I've been trying to do is making time for that. It, it's really interesting for, you know, the that that transition period always existed, especially when the office, but then it's just, just something that we just take for granted. Like I said, you like, like, like with the education system, we had a certain ways of doing things. And then, yeah. and now, now that we're outside of that, we forget uh, how to act. So say, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I, I think people operate in different ways. Because I've, um, since I've gone fully remote, uh, also back in, I, I guess this was twenty twenty, right before the pandemic. Um, you know, I've uh, now it's a little different. But then it was, you know, I have I have workspace. But I didn't do the commute. I would kind of roll out of bed and be ready to go. And um, it really wasn't that difficult to switch modes. You know, I'm at the desk. I'm in work mode. And then I leave the desk and I'm not in work mode. Um, and I think most of my success comes from being able to switch laptops. Uh, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're on your work laptop and nothing else goes on that laptop except work. And if it's plugged in, you're focused on work. Um, and here... Since I built this pod around me, um, you know, I leave the pod and it's not work uh, unless I bring my laptop with me, which is rare. But um, leave the pod, no work, uh, you know, and come into the pod. It's either work or podcast or some combination, you know. Um, I don't So, So it's interesting because, like, do, are, are you saying that you are kind of putting in a virtual commute? Or you're, you're actually commuting, aren't you? Frank? Oh no, no. So I'm trying to, to, Still to, virtually. to force yeah, to force a commute. Okay. Yeah. So I yeah, mean what so do yeah. you what do you do to like fill that time? Are you are you just like in the car, driving yourself around to get in the headspace and then come back home and then work? Or because I've heard that's something that people do. Oh, I never thought about that. Uh about once a month I get to drop off the HOA check. So that so that the homeowners association checks so that that helps. Uh, I call it take a walk around the block. Uh, there's actually a, uh, 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 what do you call it? A Starbucks and, and some other things that it's about a 12 minute walk, but it, I don't have to cross any busy streets. I can kind of walk around my complex and then kind of sneak off the back and kind of do that. So I started doing some of that, especially at the end. I think there might be a bar there too, but it's a family friendly show. Uh, and like a pizza place, a CVS, where you can get, you know, like, uh, medicine or whatever like that. So I kind of stick an errand at the end right after work. That usually helps. Uh, but the, the morning commute, I'm still kind of, uh, especially with the kind of early morning stand-ups, that, that, that needs a little bit of practice. Yeah. 
Barry, I keep deflecting from you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just find out you just don't want to talk to me anymore. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just taking it personally. No, it's been, that's one of the things I found certainly during the first parts of our lockdown was I was sort of, I set, set myself up in, in the living room in the house because we had nowhere else to go. Um, and I'd always, 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 pretty much always commuted either a short or a long commute um, up to this point. So I did find it quite difficult. So right at the beginning, I was like, oh, I could just roll out of bed and straight into the living room and crack on with work. But then I found that I worked long hours anyway, but then I was l- constantly thinking, oh, well, actually, if I just nipped on for another five minutes, I can do get this job cleared out and this job cleared out. Mm-hmm. I can knock this off the list. And I was like, oh, no, that's bad practice because I, w- I was leading a team as well. So I was I was also having to go at my other team members to say, you shouldn't be doing this. Why are you online? Get offline, you know, because they're trying to do them sort of characteristics. I'm like, no, no, you're stuck at home. You've got nothing else to do. Um, but also being really bad at that myself. So one of the big things I really liked was we built put a sort of cabin at, in at the end of the garden. And even if I'm working from home now, so I've, I have been working back in the office now for, for a while, um, which is about 15 minutes drive away, um, which is fab. And we're going to do that, which is actually going back to the early conversation is in a rugby stadium, which is cool. Um, but, the, but the office at the end of the garden, um, that still has, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a 20, 30 second walk to, or maybe a minute walk to the end of the garden. But I still feel like like you're going to that transition of, you know, I'm coming into this space here and I'm either podcasting or even if I am just reading or maybe even playing a bit of a game, then um, I'm still in a different space um, from the house. I try not to work in the house anymore. It's um, That's got to be home and family space because I need that transition. Otherwise, yeah, I, I, just, I just find it hard to click out of um, work head. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like I I don't know. I'm I'm very much like strict with my hours. I'll do like a, you know, early morning thing to a certain time and then once the once that's done, you know, work laptop and I think it's part of that segmentation, right? I think uh for some people that means going to a physical office. For me, that means uh taking out the plug from one of my my fun computer to my work computer and that's the mode that switches for me. Um, um so, you know, as long as I can, otherwise the, the work laptop is closed, you know, <laughs> unless there's something I'm expecting uh, outside normal working hours. Um, but that's far and few between. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess, because um, I was talking to a friend of mine about this the other day, it's, I guess, because if you're running your own business as well, I guess that adds a different dimension because you kind of feel like, I mean, because I have all the apps on my phone as well. So all the, you know, um telegram and all that is all is always on my phone so if anybody wants to get i kind of feel like i need if something happens in the business I'm, you know maybe a member of staff needs help or something like that that they always need to get a hold of me now in reality they don't because they're all cool um cool people and they know to solve how to solve problems but then i kind of feel well what happens if i'm letting them down you know something like that so i end up doing myself more harm than good to the point that my team are all telling me i need to go and take a holiday um to stop being so stressed so um i might have to listen to them at some point maybe yeah the um the always on like that's that's so interesting because i will i don't know even segmentation is is really important i think to me because like even with the podcast like i when when i first started this thing you know had all the um at least funds that like I said, this thing's out of pocket, right? So it's like, 
It's paying for all the stuff out of pocket. And we've, we're finally at a point now where, uh, like I said, two patrons away. I guess if anyone's watching, this is listening for patrons already. So we're, we're two patrons away from, you know, being completely self-sustainable. Um, um, I realized around episode 200 that I needed a bank for the podcast. And so I started doing that. So that way the money isn't all out of pocket. It's just the difference. Right. And, um, uh, my, my wife doesn't want to be listening to this then because, uh, <laughs> yeah, my podcast is, yeah, we've just gone through a little blip where I've just gone, Oh, we can do all of the things. And, and it's gone, it's complete. It's revamp is pretty much there now, but it's cost me a fair bit of money. Yeah. Um, but then you see, like, found yeah. nice bits of kit. Like I yeah. mentioned the other week, I've got the um, my new mixing desk, and of course, the new mix- mixing desk means I had to get a new microphone because the quality wasn't good enough. And I'm now looking at maybe a new set of headphones and and gadgets, the gadgets <laughs> you can get, and 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 it just never ends. <laughs> no, it's, fun, though. it's a hobby, right? It's a hobby, yeah. and and I've always viewed it as like a way uh, for. Uh, professional development right it's like Mm -hmm. you know from your perspective you're talking to to great people every week or so and you know we we get that at conferences that's kind of our interview style is we do interviews at conferences we do conference coverage um but then we get to talk about just random stuff every week and and that's kind of just been a way to flex our human factors muscles um yeah i mean i I sort of did mine as a well firstly i did it the professional development thing is is absolutely spot on because I wanted to improve my um, my public speaking um, as a way, and I was just like, well, I do public speaking already, like say with the, with the politics side of things, but and I'm happy giving presentations and things like that, but I just wanted an, um, a different way of trying to you know work with my voice and and how I talk. Um, but then also, it was just such a cool. I was like, I could just ring people up and ask them for interviews. Rather, you know, rather than sort of like trying to be necky for either a job or like make people think I'm trying to go for a contract or something like that. But I wanted to be able to introduce myself to people and have conversations with them. And this has just been an ideal way. Um, so I'm saying, you know, dropping them a, a random message and saying, oh, do you fancy being a guest on my podcast? Um, and yeah, I've just been really lucky, which is quite cool. Um, so it's all very selfish, really. Yeah. But it works for me. Because <laughs> I feel I'm, that that uh, so gadgets and ego. I mean, what more could you possibly want? <laughs> Frank, when are you starting your podcast? Oh, as soon as the uh, meat prices start going down. That was another hobby I do is barbecuing. And uh, with with this uh, during the pandemic, that's what I do a lot. Is uh, especially on uh, uh, demo day, demonstration day. Uh, mm-hmm. where you know, all the hard work has been put in and it's just kind of letting the demonstration happen. And so that that's, that was a ritual I would do as I'd smoke a piece of meat at the at the demonstration. Um, but but now now I think it's with inflation and things are just kind of, uh, you know, letting that lapse a little bit. So maybe that's something I got to bring back, you know, like bringing back our hobbies, being mindful of that. It's part of that, that commute process of transitioning away from work things to... I, I would I would do a barbecue podcast, uh, and and maybe something like uh, uh, I used to do a lot more travel. I used to have a travel blog, uh, things like that, like a travel and food blog. Mm. So, but I guess podcast sort of thing. Podcast it was a couple of video, like those YouTube things, video log, vlogs, vlogs. Is that what they call them? Yeah. 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 
lifestyle vlogs. Mm. I don't know how many people would like watch a human factors lifestyle blog, but definitely travel and food. That's something that everyone loves. That's because you guys do barbecue on the on completely the next level. It's um, I've been watching some like was it um, it was like barbecuing competitions and things that you have, and I was like, oh, I I need some of that. That's just genius. Um, Yes, I'm very inspired. Uh, it, yeah, very different from the way that we do barbecue. Yeah, Frank and I used to live, uh, or I used to live, about what ten minutes, if that, from Frank. And he, whenever he would do a barbecue, he'd always invite me to uh, to come over and take some home. Um, and I do miss that. I miss that dearly. <laughs> <laughs> it was good stuff. We all need to bow around to Frank. Yes. All right, guys. Well, I think we're just about at the hour. So if you have been joining us, uh, thank you for joining us. If you stuck around through the show, really appreciate it for all our patrons listening. Thank you again for your patronage and we'd love to have you. Welcome to our two new patrons. And uh, like I said, we will not be back next week. Maybe. I don't know. I won't be here. Uh, That's for sure. Um, Yeah, I think that's really it. We have no sign off. Frank, thank you for showing up and and, uh, hanging out with us. been wanting to move to a multi-person uh panel for a while so this is kind of a good exercise in that barry thank you for hanging out with us too no um filling in for the last x amount of weeks uh any closing closing words guys not for me i'm gonna go to bed because i'm tired you go to bed yeah Yeah, thank you yeah it's great great big back on for for this and very great great to meet you uh virtually Yeah, so oh I forgot to send the chat all of the ones I hate this guy. I gotta send those. Oh right. <laughs> I sent Never it to again. the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, I posted it on LinkedIn. Ah. Yeah, LinkedIn. <laughs> oh it's it, it's a pleasure. And I, I, I do like this as as a kind of guest panelist. Uh it, it it's it's a lot of it makes a lot of uh, a lot less pressure, uh because it's especially coming in from the uh, you know not not having having practiced this that much, done it this this many times. It, it was this was a lot really smooth and kind of be able to kind of play off of each other. So yeah, so so I, something I hope keep keep that yeah, you keep doing, and I look forward to uh, being able to to see you again on this. Cool, excellent. All right, thank you for watching, everyone. Uh, we'll see you on the fourth at the latest. Bye. Bye.